Will Justify join the exclusive club of American Triple Crown winners? We'll handicap the Belmont on this show. Plus, if Bob Baffert wins, he'll join the exclusive club of multiple Triple Crown winners. We'll look back at the only other man to do it. It's a Triple Crown edition of In the Gate coming up next. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll side. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit-bombing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And remember to check out our Belmont preview show on ESPN+, Plus, the video version of In The Gate, all this week on ESPN+. Plus. Just 15 miles away from Belmont Park sits the Holy Cross Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York. Buried there is James Edward Fitzsimmons, known in racing lore as Sonny Jim. Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons is, so far, the only trainer in American thoroughbred history to win two Triple Crowns. If Justify wins the Belmont Stakes, his trainer Bob Baffert would equal that legendary accomplishment. A Baffert win would also break a tie with his buddy D. Wayne Lucas for the most Triple Crown race wins. They each have 14. Fitzsimmons has 13. With Bob Baffert on the cusp of history, we thought you should know a little something about the man whose exclusive club of one might need to reserve another seat. So we've reached out to Sonny Jim's grandson, Jack Fitzsimmons, who's nice enough to join us here on In the Gate. Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons trained the second and third winners of the Triple Crown, Gallant Fox in 1930 and Omaha in 1935. But that was right around the time that Charles Hatton of the Daily Racing Forum coined the term Triple Crown. Did your grandfather know about or care about the Triple Crown the way we do today? It, it had a name, the Triple Crown, but it wasn't uh, advertised. In fact, back in those days, sometimes the Preakness was run before the Derby. It would be Preakness Derby in Belmont. Yeah, sometimes they were only like four days apart. Yes. And not only that, but even if Bob Baffert ties my grandfather with two Triple Crown winners, They'll never do this. Gallant Fox was the father of Omar. So that's the only father-son, two Triple Crown winners. That's not going to happen very soon again. Well, we don't know what American Pharaoh's children are going to be because they haven't run yet. But in an article in the Daily Racing Forum in 1950, your grandfather said that only once did he ever actually see the Kentucky Derby, as it was run when he was there, and that was for Omaha in 1935. He made it up to Bull Hancock's boxing time. He said that all the other years he couldn't see over the crowd. How is that possible? And once he said, uh, I forget what year it was, um, I think it was Granville or somebody, uh, he was one of the favorites in the Derby, and he was in the infield. And the race goes off. And uh, the young boy next to him is up in the tree and yelling, Mr. Fitz, you're in front. Mr. Fitz, you're in front. He gets to the finish and my grandfather's walking out to the track and he sees the horse go by without a jockey. Jockey fell off in the gate. So it's again where he couldn't see. Yeah, that was 1939. 
36, he had uh, Johnstown, who won the Derby in the Belmont and just got beat in the Preakness. Well, that was one missed Triple Crown, but there was really a third Triple Crown that many racing observers thought that Sonny Jim would win, and that was 1955 when he trained the Kentucky Derby favorite Nashua, ridden by the great Eddie Arcaro, who was edged out by an upstart from California named Swaps, ridden by some guy named Shoemaker. Willie the Shoe. What happened was, about two weeks before in the Woods Memorial, Nashua was like three lengths behind Summertan with about 50 yards to go. And Teddy Atkinson was filling in for Arcaro, who was suspended. And all of a sudden, Nashua took off and made up those three lengths and about two jumps and one by a neck over Summertan. So my grandfather tells Eddie Akiro, look, they said Shoemaker's on swaps. He'll never go a mile and a quarter. So watch Summertan. So Nashua's in the race, and Eddie's looking over his shoulder, and Summertan's just behind him. And he's not paying attention, and nobody's running with, with swaps. The so swaps is out there. Shoemaker smart, no pressure. So when Arcaro finally decided, oh my God, what? Summertan's not going to do anything. Now I got to go catch Shoemaker. And he couldn't do it because Shoemaker had no pressure. Now, Nashua went on to win the Preakness, the Belmont, the legendary one-on-one match race with Swaps, and Horse of the Year. How much did your grandfather talk about that woulda, shoulda, coulda triple crown with Nashua? A lot. And, you know, at that time, he was getting old, and he didn't go. He listened to the trainers who he knew real well about Swaps not being able to go a mile and a quarter. And he knew from watching... Summertan and Nashua banging out in the Wood Memorial that he thought that would be the horse to worry about. But then when it came to the um, match race, everybody was saying, okay, now Swats is going to go to the front and Nashua will never be able to catch him. So my grandfather who's training the horse at Oklahoma track in Saratoga says to Arcaro, look, this is going to be a four-furlong race. You win the first four furlongs, then the next four furlongs, and then the next four furlongs. Don't worry about coming from behind or whatever. And that messed up the whole race. Akira beat Shoemaker for the first turn, and that was it. Shoemaker never could catch Nashua. And it turned the whole thing because they thought it would be just the opposite. Nashua trying to catch Swaps. So they had a different story waiting for Mr. Shoemaker. (laughs) Now, there's also a triple crown that Bob Baffert came agonizingly close to winning, too. And that was 20 years ago with Real Quiet. He'd won the Derby and the Preakness. And I was there that day when most who were watching at Belmont Park and on TV thought the triple crown was in the bag. Real Quiet is making a bid for the lead. Victory Gallop is six lengths from the lead, but he's gathering momentum. And as they arrive at the top of the stretch, Real Quiet is taking the lead. He's coming to the eighth pole. 20 years in the waiting, one furlong to go. But here comes his rival, Victory Gallop, as they come to the final 16th. Kent DeSormo imploring Real Quiet to hold on. Victory Gallop, a final surge. It's going to be very close. Here's the wire. It's too close to call. And if not for that nose, 
Bob Baffert might be trying to break, not tie, Sonny Jim. What are your thoughts on Bob Baffert's success compared with your grandfather's? Oh, he's got, you know, a lot more horses than my grandfather had. I mean, he probably has 100 horses or so. And he's in a situation where he can take these two-year-olds and work their rear ends off. And the ones that make it go on to become good. And the ones that can't handle all that heavy work just get turned back to the owners. You know, they didn't make it. It's a different story now um, with these top trainers getting tons and tons of horses. Fletcher probably has 100 horses at any time he can bring in. And back in the day when the Triple Crown, when my grandfather was running, most of the owners and the trainers thought it was, you know, sportsmen to run in all the races. So they would most likely feel great about running in all three races. Nowadays, these trainers have so many horses, they have horses waiting to beat the favorite from the Derby or from the Preakness or whatever. You're not going to do it on my ground. You're not coming to Belmont and winning my my backyard type of situation. Jack Fitzsimmons, grandson of Hall of Fame trainer Sonny Jim Fitzsimmons, joins us here on In the Gate. This is a guy who trained over 250 stakes winners starting in the early 1900s. And as late as 1957, when he was 82, Wayne Lucas's age now, by the way, he trained a horse of the year and one of the legendary names of all time, Bold Ruler. Yet, he told reporter Jimmy Breslin, the longer a person is in the sport, the more he has to learn. How does that fit with the grandfather that you knew? No, that's true. Another thing about what he believes that you never learn enough, you're always learning. He was the godfather for Vince Lombardi, who was the coach, as you know, of the football teams. Really? Because they lived four blocks apart in Brooklyn, in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. And my grandfather wound up being Lombardi's godfather. I did not know that. Lombardi was always telling him, hey, it doesn't get any easier. I've been here a long time. You can keep your head down and keep on going. Don't let up. Well, in that regard, you know, there's a saying that it's easy to train the cheap horses. It's the good ones that make you lose sleep. With all the good horses that Sonny Jim trained, how much sleep do you think he lost? Well, the doctor, when he was young, said uh, to my grandfather, don't do anything that's exciting because you have a weak heart. (laughs) You only live to be 93, and I'm sure a lot of those close finishes at 100 and 200,000 were pretty exciting. How do you think you'll feel if Bob Baffert ties your grandfather with two triple crowns? I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for racing because anything that's a positive thing for racing is good for racing. I get tired of seeing two and three pages of auto racing in the papers and only half a page or one column about horse racing. The Belmont Stakes comes up on Saturday. History on the line. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of yours, Mr. Fitzsimmons. Okay, I enjoyed talking to you. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, it's time for the Belmont Stakes. We'll justify join the list of American Triple Crown winners. We'll handicap the Belmont when we come back.
justified. Good magic. They match strides virtually from the start as they move to the top of the stretch. Ahead in head battle. Looks like a showdown in the fog. It is good magic on the inside. Justify on the outside. And now Justify and Mike Smith trying to grab the lead. Justify begins to pull away. Justify is in front. Justify and here's tenfold on the outside. Bravazo. Justify. Bravazo tenfold. Justify. It wasn't a jog through the Baltimore fog, but he got it won. He's flawless. And if Justify is able to complete the Triple Crown on Saturday, he'll become just the second undefeated Triple Crown winner. Seattle Slough right now stands alone in that regard. He was 9-for-9 when he completed the Triple Crown. Justify will be running for the sixth time in the Belmont Stakes. But will he win it? That's the question we need to answer, and we have two of the best minds in the business to help us figure that out. Bill Finley of the Thoroughbred Daily News and Ed DeRosa of the Brisnet Handicapping Service. And it's been too long since both these guys were back with us. So let's start with Bill. The one post, Bob Baffert didn't like it. It has more winners than any post in the Belmont Stakes history, 23. Does it hurt or help him? I don't think it, it does uh, either. I mean, it's a mile and a half race. He could have started from the 42nd post. I mean, really, what difference <laughs> does it make? Yeah, there's so much time to maneuver uh, around. It's such a big racetrack. And uh, on top of that, you break from the one post. You're closest to the turn. If anything, it helps him. But I, I think that, you know, you're worried about post positions in the Belmont Stakes. You really should have better things to worry about. Well, the question here, Ed, is how much do you think, being from the one, that other riders will try to race ride against Justify and really try to get out and pin him to the rail? Uh, I think they were probably going to do that anyway, wherever he is. Uh, Now to race ride him, as you said, that might be one strategy is to keep him down inside. But from the outside, they could have, you know, race ridden to float him wide or, you know, engage him in a speed duel. So for that reason, I would say the the one post is is probably worse than it's better. But overall, I definitely agree with Bill. At a mile and a half, especially with Justify's style where he can be on the lead or or cruise right behind horses like Noble India restoring hope, it's hard to get too worked up over it. If it's the reason he lost, then he just isn't worthy of the Triple Crown anyway. And I don't say that critical of the horse. Uh, Plenty of good ones have, have lost on this stage. And it happens, but you know the the rail shouldn't be the the reason that we're looking back and say, "Oh man, he really should have been one of the ones." One of the issues in any horse race is how much speed is there early on. How much is Justify going to be pushed early on? And Bill, it doesn't seem there's that much speed here besides Noble Indy. Well, and that's one of the good things, and I agree with you. And that's one of the good things about this horse. It's very versatile, and you know he's now sort of gotten a reputation as a speed horse because of the way the two races unfolded, the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. But, you know, you look back at some of his earlier races, for instance, when he won an allowance race at Santa Anita in a second career start, he closed from third. He's not going to be sixth or seventh early, but he's not a have-to-have-the-lead kind of horse. He's very tractable. He's got as savvy a rider as there is in the business in Mike Smith. And, you know, I think you go into the starting gate with no preconceived notions. You just figure out how the race is going to unfold, and then you play it by ear. Now, also remember, Noble Indy is also part-owned by Windstar Farm, 
as is justified. And I think if Javier Castellano aboard Noble Indy gets into a speed duel with Justify, they might put a bounty on his head <laughs> the race. Um, what were you thinking? So I know there's some uh, some different ownership involved in this in Micropolion's part of Noble Indy, but that, that horse is not going to go after Justify. I mean, that would be insane for a stable mate to get a, a horse into a, in some sort of speed duel with a triple crown in line. Now, Bill, you know, on one side of our mouths, we've been saying how because the Belmont is such a long race with a slow pace that it's hard to come from behind because the front runners still have enough for the end and that would favor Justify. But on the other side of my mouth, anyway, I've also been saying that the other type of horse that wins this kind of long distance race is the grinder, the horse that doesn't have the big turn of foot, but keeps clicking off quarter miles and not really slowing down that much, just coming at one pace. And there are a bunch of those in here. Are any of them interesting to you? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think you're right. You don't, it has happened, but you really don't see that horse who's 17, 18 behind at the half mile pole, you know, close and win the Belmont Stakes. So, you know, you get either horses that go out front, sit right on the pace, or like you said, that sort of, you know, horse that clicks off those 12, 12, 12 eighths of, eighths of a mile and hangs in there. So, you know, before I answer that question, I, I think that what you have to decide here is, is it justify or is it not justify? If you settle on justify, then really nothing else matters. You know, if you just say he's the best horse, he's a freak, he, he's better than everybody else. There's, it doesn't matter to me what anybody else's running style is. It's just, to me, before I really answer that question, I want to just look at, do you believe in Justify? And if you believe in Justify and say, he's got this field over a barrel, then post positions don't matter. Running styles don't matter. We know track conditions don't matter because he's already won the first two legs of the Triple Crown over sloppy tracks. There's, there's really just nothing that can beat him other than if he beats himself. Ed, how vulnerable is Justify? I definitely think he's more vulnerable than his four to five odds would indicate. Uh, so, you know, an underlay for sure. I don't think enough is, is being made of the mile and a half distance. I think that's a legitimate question mark. Obviously, he handled the mile and a quarter in the Derby with a plum, and that was one concern for me, taking five to two in that spot. And as it turns out, he, like I said, handled it. But it was Stormcat's first win uh, in the Derby, Stormcat line. And he does only have the one win in the Belmont. So I do think a mile and a half is somewhat of a concern, being by Scat Daddy. The other is it's his sixth race in less than four months. And Bob Baffert, Pletcher, any of the, the big-name trainers in this race, would never, ever run a grade one animal six times in less than four months. This is the exception. We know why. It's the Triple Crown. I'm not saying he shouldn't be running or anything like that, but that is a absolutely a legitimate question mark based on typical training methods in this day and age. And it adds on between the distance and the six starts in less than four months. I, I think he's a bet against. So who of these grinders particularly do you like? I mean, really, those, those one-pace horses would be Hofberg, Gronkowski, probably tenfold, and even blended citizen. I don't understand how Gronkowski is twelve to one, but Hofberg is interesting. 
Yeah, I think Gronkowski and, and kudos to, to David Aragorna with Naira for just knowing that this is actually one horse who was probably going to attract a lot of silly money because of his, his namesake, who's promoting the race as well. So not only is there name recognition with the name, but the guy he's named after is sort of part of the fun too. So I do think he's going to take silly money and it, it makes him unbettable in the wind pool, even if you did like him a little bit. I actually really like Blended Citizen. Uh, he's my pick to win the Belmont Stakes. I'm going to make probably a, a big bet relative to me. <laughs> In term, normally, I, I reserve my, my prime win bets for very logical horses, you know, in the two, three to one range who have a big chance to win. I, I think at this horse at 15 to one is just worth a big play across the board. I think he's going to get the birdstone trip that got to Smarty Jones in the 04 Belmont. I was there for his Jeff Ruby Stakes win. I thought it was really professional. He went between horses. Yeah, he's a grinder, and he, he runs evenly. But Kyle Frey can get him into a race. He he has a middle move in him. He's not just a deep closer, as we saw, as some people might think. So, you know, the bluegrass, he, he was way out of it and had too much to do. But the Peter Pan really showed, I thought, a, a dimension that can win the Belmont Stakes. And blended citizens, my upset pick. What do you think, Bill? Are you on the Justify bandwagon as you were starting to get to? Well, uh, I'll, I'll say this much. I agree with Ed in most respects, but I will say this. He's the most likely winner of the race. I mean, and I think Ed would, would agree with that. But he's I, I, he's, I don't think he's going to be four to five. I think he's going to be in, in the realm of one to two. And uh, he, this is a horse that is, I think is vulnerable. And go back to American Pharaoh's greatness. And I think that I was not alone in this feeling. Matter of fact, I think everybody thought after American Pharaoh won the greatness, this is it. This horse is going to win the triple crown. I, I never had any doubt in my mind. Just everything about him looked like he was doing so well. He was so dominant. He was, you know, he didn't have any obstacles. He didn't have any of these faults that that Ed is bringing up, which are very good ones, about whether or not he'll go a mile and a half. Has he been raced too much, um, you know, too much shoved into a short time frame? He was much more impressive in the Preakness than Justify was in his Preakness. So I don't look at this horse as being invincible. And I thought coming out of the Preakness I was going to be, wow, this horse is a superstar, and he, he, he still could well turn out to be. He could still want to, well turn out to be the Triple Crown. He could still uh, lose this race, come back and win the Breeders' Cup Classic, the, the Pegasus, etc., and go down in history as a superstar. But to me, his race in the Preakness made it a situation where I don't see this as an invincible horse. So I don't want any part of him at two to five. So I, I'm on to some of the same horses that, that Ed was on to. I think the the horse that's probably most likely to beat him is Hofburg. However, he's nine to two in the morning line, and and if I'm trying to be a horse going to the Triple Crown, I want to do a lot better than nine to two in the morning line. I also agree with him on Gronkowski. Gronkowski ought to be six thousand to one. <laughs> he's going to be bet because you know. I mean, this horse is uh, come on. I mean, this this is a publicity stunt. Um, but you know, Gronkowski and the Patriots and everything like that. So obviously, you know, the, the, he 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 doesn't. He doesn't get put on any of my tickets. So, you know, and it's not a horse I'm in love with, but I, I, I thought Tenfold would run well in the Preakness because I thought he was an improving horse. And he did show that he was an improving horse in the Preakness. It was his best start of his life. And he just needs 
based on the Preakness vis-a-vis uh, the performance that he ran versus Justified, he needs to find another three-quarters of a length to beat him. And whereas we may not have seen the best of Tenfold yet, I think it's fair to say we have seen the best of Justified yet so far, I should say. It might be worth just going to the window and doing an all-all in the exacta wagering, because this thing seems pretty wide open. Well, if you do that, don't use justify. Oh, you think if he doesn't win, he comes off the board completely? Well, I mean, it's $90 to box the field or 72 to throw him out. The $18 you save, even if he finishes second, I don't think you'll be crying over missing the, the $30 exacta when you put in 72 Does that make sense? That is uh, something I will have to consider come Saturday. Well, thank you both so much. It could be a historic day either way. (laughs) Okay. Our thanks to Bill Finley, Ed DeRosa, and Jack Fitzsimmons. You've heard of racetracks closing, full crops shrinking rapidly, and racinos that would eliminate the race. It makes you wonder if anyone's supporting the thoroughbred business or will a self-fulfilling prediction erode its base. But one government stepped up recently with a show of financial support. Ontario's all in for 19 years with $100 million a year to support the industry, which will help to allay, for now, any solvency fears. But Ontario's government made it clear that transparency is vital and the money must be used to grow the biz. Not just to fatten purses or increase executive pay, expanding the client base is where it is. I have my doubts that racing entities anywhere at all will step up to do more than status quo, but without a visionary way to move this business forward, no government will want to help it grow. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us through the iTunes store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. Remember also to check out our video version of In The Gate on ESPN Plus, the digital streaming service. For more on the Belmont Stakes, but for now, that's in the gate. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.